Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. This is episode 702, my interview with Matt Ward, talking about exponential technologies and where we are headed. I hope you enjoy. G'day, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Hidden White Podcast. Liam Anutzi here with you today. Guys, great to have you here. Today I'm bringing on a futurist, Matt Ward. He's involved in many different things. You can check out his full profile by heading to thehiddenwire.com, episode 702. And I'll stick a few links in there for contacting him by Twitter. He's also got a podcast or a couple of podcasts out as well as a website of his own. So check him out online, thehiddenwire.com. But today we're talking about exponential technologies and where we are headed. People often talk about AI and blockchain and CRISPR and VR, yet the vast majority of us do not realize how quickly the future is coming or which industries may have the largest impact. Worse still, many believe their futures to be much like their past, and yet the science, especially when it comes to aging and AI, is advancing exponentially faster than people expect. Individuals that can see the future before it is here will be better able to prepare and succeed as the world changes. We talk about exponential technologies, how they will affect health, longevity, and humanity. Talking about things from the convergence of OT wearable devices, biotech, AI, VR, and other bits and pieces along the way. We discover why short-term thinking is not a good solution and conversations like this essential if we wish to avoid any catastrophes that uh, the future tech might bring us. Guys, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt Ward. Check it out at thehiddenwire.com. Until the end, talk soon. G'day, Matt, and welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. How the heck are you today? I am pretty good. Thanks for having me, Lee. It's a pleasure to have you here and look forward to our conversation as always. Uh, mate, you've, um, you've got a bit going on in your life by the looks of it, uh, from an external perspective at least. I've had a look a bit of a, over your profile online. Looks like you've written a few books as well. Tell us a bit about yourself. Like what, what are you doing and um, why? I'm an ADD guy that wants to change the world and make it more awesome. I'm an entrepreneur that's way too wired to work in corporate. So my background is e-commerce, built and sold a couple companies, used the money from one of those, the other two didn't really matter, to get into angel investing, worth mm. working with startup companies. And now more recently, I've launched uh, Fringe FM, which is a bit like a long-form TED. I get the world's smartest folks focused on the most far out and important futures and technologies and get them on to discuss the direction, the ethics of where we're headed, how we can make sure that we don't screw up our future, how we can make things equitable, et cetera. Okay. So you, you title yourself sort of a, a bit of a futurist. Is that correct? I guess you could say that. So what, what is a futurist? I think there's a lot of different definitions. Mm. I, some of the folks I've had on my podcast, they've gone to university and studied futurism or forecasting or future sciences, et cetera. And that's kind of how they define themselves as being a futurist. For me, my background is mechanical engineering. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I've built some businesses. I've gotten into growth hacking. But more recently, I've been very focused on future technologies. And I would I think is a stretch to call it a future technology because the technologies are happening now. They're just not happening in the in the areas that most people are seeing. I think we're living in an era of exponential innovation. So we have certain technologies that are layering upon each other. We have GPUs, graphical. Um, I, I can never remember what the what exactly it stands for, but they're being used for AI, for cryptocurrency. Previously, they were used for video game graphics. But with the, with the advent of GPUs, more powerful cloud computing, more powerful now, given the, given the uh, processing power, AI, layering those on top of some of the technologies with 
genetic sequencing. So you can go to a 23andMe and find out everything there is to know about you and your mother. And when you layer on these technologies, it's not one technology. It's suddenly the the genetic basically everything is being empowered by other technologies ai is powering a large amount of the space a large amount of the genetics research that's happening now and those technologies are becoming larger and larger and faster and faster where if you look at the cost of like genome sequencing that's coming down faster than moore's law which moore's law is ridiculous and this is something like four or five times faster than that. I think we're, we're living in that era where we'll see more and more technologies rapidly accelerating. And that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited. So that's why I guess you could call me a futurist. Okay, cool. So if I was asked you um, what gets you most excited right now, it's, it's the future of technology. I would say the future of technology, but also the future of health and longevity. I think we're entering an era now where we will be living significantly longer. Hmm. You see right now, there's kind of a bit of a bifurcation, the upper class and the lower classes of society. If you're able to eat right and not eat right, according to the FDA, the FDA gives you terrible recommendations. But if you're eating generally low carb, moderate protein, moderate fat consumption, you're eating pretty healthy, organic, et cetera, then you're, you're living longer. You're having less incidence of disease. Whereas if you're eating at McDonald's, fast food, et cetera, your life is actually shortening. But what we're learning in terms of diet, nutrition, gut health, genetics, epigenetics, how these all play into each other. And then some of the stuff like Aubrey de Grey, he's been on Fringe FM. If you guys check it out, it's really interesting. He thinks we have people alive that'll live to a thousand which seems a bit absurd, but think of think of a spaceship. When you launch it, a spaceship gets into orbit when it's able to reach escape velocity, the velocity where it is so fast that Earth's gravity cannot pull it back. We have a very similar concept when it comes to longevity, and that's the year or the time when we're able to, for every year of technological progress, we're able to roughly reduce the amount of aging that your body goes through by one year. Once we do that, you're aging zero years per year, and Mm -hmm. you enter into a a paradigm where maybe not living indefinitely, but living significantly longer. And I think we're moving towards that really, really quickly, and most people aren't talking about that. So that's what I'd say I'm most excited about right now, but I think there's a lot of really cool tech coming. Yeah, cool. Well, look, I want to uh, jump into all that because it's it's certainly of interest here at The Hidden Why. Um, And I know uh, Yuval Noah Harari talks about it being one of the top three issues globally um, that we're facing and perhaps not talking enough of is you know ai and tech um, of the future so what are your um what are your biggest concerns as as far as how technology is shaping the world and, and where it's taking us i think it's it's two things primarily one is short-term thinking i think people don't think far enough out especially in the west mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking about quarterly returns and profits CEOs, there have been polls done. It was something between 60 and 80% of Fortune 500 CEOs said they would forego investing in guaranteed long-term growth if it meant that the short-term numbers looked better because that's how their bonuses and incentives work. Do you think that's that's always been the case or do you think that's just something that's quite new because of tech and how rapidly it changes? Do you think that's forcing us to be more short-term because we just can never predict what's going to happen next? That's a good question. I I would argue against that. I think some of it has to do with uh, has to do with uh, interest rates that the feds have set. Some of it has to do with uh, that uncertainty there, and some of it has to do with the fact that trading is so much 
faster and more efficient. Yeah. Eric, Eric Reese has the concept that he's working on now called a long-term stock market, a long-term stock exchange, basically trying to change the incentive structure to be more aligned so that you can have longer term visions trading once a quarter versus trading once every hundredth of a second. Because when you are trading that quickly, suddenly it becomes completely about arbitrage. Wall Street is arbitrage. Wall Street is junk. It's worthless. But that's what it is. And that's what where so much of the economy is driven from. Hmm. You see people shorting Tesla. You see people focused on companies not making money, but wanting to earn money from those companies. And you see, it's just, it seems a bit like a Ponzi scheme. And that's kind of because it is. Yeah. And I think that I think that's a big part of the problem in terms of longer term thinking. But you see that on companies, you see that especially in terms of government. Government's not able to think outside the box. Healthcare in, in the US is completely broken. Worldwide it's not doing great, but at least it is better. If you're able to think on a longer term healthcare horizon, then you're having prevention instead of um, helping cure people of diseases once they already have them, the costs are, what, a 20th of what it would be, you're able to save massive amounts of money. And I think if you look at people, if you look at governments, there's just a very large focus towards short-term bias, short-term incentives, short-term, this feels good now. Hmm. It's the reason why people eat at McDonald's, even though they know they're going to feel like shit and they're going to gain weight, is because it feels good now. And I think there's way too much of that feels good now focus and not enough of the long-term the long term. So in, in the sixties we had the we had the space race. We we go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And I think that humanity, especially especially the US, has lost that. Kids today are excited about getting a new cell phone. They're not excited about going to the moon. And that's a, that's a tragedy. And it's something that you see reflected in startups. We have another and another and another photo sharing app. I think we've got enough photo sharing apps at this point. Hmm. So that that's hmm. the first thing that I would say worries me. Short-term thinking. Sec- yep. Is short-term thinking. And the second thing would be lovely if I could remember what that is. Um I guess I guess it ties into it ties into that, but just not having the conversations about where we're headed as a as a society. So okay. with AI and with AI and automation, you see people arguing both ways. It'll create jobs, it'll destroy jobs. And I'm very willing to say that at this point we cannot tell. I'm towards the I, I lean towards the fact that it will probably have less jobs because as we're automating more and more, eventually there becomes a low skill labor where you're not able to replace their jobs with other jobs because they're just not able to keep up. That's how I think about it. That may be pessimistic, but I think it's also realistic. But we're, we're not having those conversations. We're not talking enough about a universal basic income or another way of subsidizing this when we, we're living in an era which is so much more efficient than Henry Ford's era of the Model T. Worker efficiencies way up, yet worker wages are not that high up. They have hardly increased. They're, they're stagnant over the last... 15 or 20 years. And that's primarily because the vast majority of wealth is accumulated to the upper echelons. Hmm. If we don't think about this, we get into a situation where you can either bulletproof your Tesla or we can have universal basic income. And that, that becomes problematic when the people that are making the laws are the ones that have the money and don't want to think about. I, I see, I see it going better in other countries, European, especially Northern European, significantly so in terms of at least trying things and having more of a social safety net. That social safety net doesn't exist in the U.S. You need universal health care. It's just a bullshit. It's a bullshit country with, that doesn't have that. Uh, and there's some other problems as well. So we, we talked about the longevity as well. When people are living longer, what happens in terms of society? 
where we have politicians that won't die. That's how innovation happens. Same thing with scientists. Scientists defend their theories. What happens when they're not dying? What happens when healthcare, Medicaid, Social Security, all of these start collapsing because people are living longer and they're still wanting to retire at 65? Your parents probably think they're going to retire at 65. If you tell your kids they're going to retire at 65, that's going to be problematic because we're all going to be living longer in a very, very different world. And mm. I think not having those conversations is dangerous. And that's a big part of the reason I run Fringe FM is to be able to have those conversations to get more people thinking about not necessarily this is what will happen, but let's talk about what the future could be and try to plan for it. Yeah, absolutely. The more conversations that are happening, the, the more potential we have to avoid any, uh, you know, any, any, dangerous situations from occurring i suppose or any um yeah any serious events that are going to impede on our health or wellness and and longevity Um, when you talk about um short-term thinking as it relates to tech the implications for humanity here on the collective or individual level you're sort of you sort of really talk about health and longevity is that sort of where you take it or do you talk about um the growth of an economy and and productivity and, and all that as well I mean, I think it's everything. If you look at tech entrepreneurs, they're overly optimistic. Zuckerberg says everything will always get better. Connecting the world was just purely a good thing. AI will love us and make the cuddly teddy bears. And then, I mean, you also see the negative naysayers, but you see that much, much less. I think you have to be optimistic to try to change the world. But what happens when we create these platforms that are suddenly so powerful they can be manipulated. Democracy can be manipulated. We have no semblance of privacy. What happens in these scenarios where the the growth at all costs lead to an advertising economy where we're incentivized for clickbait, we're incentivized for junk, we're incentivized for fake news, we ultimately create Trump. Hmm. Yeah. I think um, I read a good book recently called Go Long um, by a couple of authors, but Michael, you seem is one of them and that really talks about the successful companies are the ones that are long-term you know thinkers um, compared to short-term focused um so absolutely if you can stay private it's so much easier it certainly seems to be the case what what sort of i want to get to the the talk of of aging and, and living to like i know your goal is living to 153 which is pretty cool um what sort of technologies do you see at the moment that are really um perhaps great in many aspects but got um, maybe severe consequences going forward and one that comes to mind that I don't really know enough about and you might know more is is one that's in China and how they're using tech to really create a, a, a grading system for people of the society yeah that's straight out of black mirror basically China's social social credit system they're looking at what makes a good citizen and they're scoring you imagine having gamification of your life and that's kind of what's happening right now in China. And yeah. I would say that's that's really scary. So how, how real is that in China? Like is it it's, is it's it, happening. It is. Like like uh, in terms of in terms of what's happening, it's happening. You you jaywalk and they have cameras that are monitoring you and you're losing points. You say things against the government if they're finding out about it, you're losing points. That can affect if you can travel or not. And all of this sounds incredibly dystopian. But one thing I like to point out, and this is not in any way, shape, or form advocating China's system, but China has been kicking the U.S. and the Western world's ass in the last decade or two in terms of innovation and future focus. Yeah. That's one where you see the difference between 
a Western democracy and a, a strong hand of, I mean, you can call it communism. It's not communism, but a strong hand centralized government. They're able to think longer out. They're able to invest billions of dollars into initiatives that matter. They're able to focus on the future. I don't see how you can have a society or at least a government keep up where one is willing to spend anything necessary to succeed and one's not even willing to upgrade the roads, upgrade the upgrade internet connectivity, upgrade basic infrastructure because we need enough money to spend on the military. It just seems like a silly a silly question mm. to ask. And yet that's kind of what's happening. But yeah, so that I would say that the social credit system and that ability to quantify individuals is scary. Some other technologies that have scary, scary consequences. Obviously, there's the whole privacy, data privacy protection, cybersecurity aspect of what we have now, our laptops, our phones. But then also as we get into more connected worlds, we have an IoT. So suddenly your house, you're walking in, it knows who you are, it opens the door, your fridge uh, pours you a drink, the air conditioning turns on. All of that stuff, if it's connected, it's also all part of the attack vector, so to speak. It can be uh, it can be hacked. I just had Bruce Schneier on, on Fringe FM. He's It hasn't gone live, but it'll go live by the time this goes up. And mm-hmm. he just released a book titled Click Here to Kill Everybody. And it's looking at the the basically the propagation of these IoT devices and how we are able to hack this. It's sure hacking's bad if someone goes and they steal your contact information or they find that selfie pic on your phone. But what happens when they crash your Tesla off a bridge? It becomes another story entirely. And I think that's a scary future that we are moving towards. I think VR could be terrifying if we enter into a ready player one type scenario where virtual reality just becomes better than the real world. Think about it in terms of the jobs that are being displaced right now. If you told your average American who was working in a coal mine, was working in a factory that no longer has a job, you can go on food stamps and have a shitty life, or you can hop in VR and be Kanye West every day. They're going to opt for the, the VR. Now, if you think about it from a governmental perspective, it's going to be cheaper to put them on VR and IV them nutrients versus having them get food stamps and housing and all of this. What happens when we have a society that part of the society is possibly living in the matrix and they're living in the matrix because they're a drain on society? That's negative. It's weird to say it's wrong. And yet it also seems seriously plausible. AI, I think there's a lot of potential aspects for that, a lot, a lot of good. So what can be done in terms of improving the world, in terms of improving science or understanding, in terms of getting people out of backbreaking jobs? But if we don't have a system where they're able to survive, if it's UBI, if it's something else, well, then suddenly they become the, they become kind of dragged along by the horse along the road. And it, uh, it just becomes negative. You have a scenario of possible like a mm. killer AI type situation. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's silly to say it's impossible. Because when you're dealing with something that's potentially smarter and more creative than yourself, never say never. Because when you say never, you're there's always a chance that you're wrong. And it, if you play out long enough, you always will be wrong. So that's um that's something that I find that could be... Uh, that could be scary as well. And then I would say the last, obviously, I mean, climate change, we don't really need to get into that. People that are denying it, it's just, uh, it's uh, it's a tragedy and that becomes very dangerous for society. We'll probably have resource wars, et cetera, if we're not able to right those ships pretty quickly. 
And then the last one would be biotech. Suddenly we have with CRISPR and genetic engineering, you're able to, you or I are able to hop into our basement, create a, create designer drugs, et cetera. You can create a gene drive that'll get passed along. So all of my kids and all of my kids' kids and all of my kids' 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 kids will all have these same genetic either enhancements or uh, flaws. You can pass along genetic viruses, et cetera. You can create killer plagues. I think there's a lot to be worried about, but that's what technology is. Technology isn't good or bad. Technology is something that gets a job done. And what makes it good or bad is how humanity uses it and deals with it. Yeah, which I guess leads us back to having conversations about it. So uh, we're more conscious about um, using it more wisely, I suppose. I'm going back exactly. over a few points. I mean, there's a lot, a lot in there um, that I mean, I'm sure we could we could go into each individually uh, with a lot more detail. But just going back to the social grading system, you made a good point there. Well, I think it was a good point about a centralized government that has, I suppose, you know, like a lot more power has the ability to have that longer-term focus than perhaps the current governments that we have in Australia or in America that are very short-term focused about winning the election, about you know getting the votes, and, and that's as far as they sort of look to, it seems. Is that something that you would agree on? Well, I would definitely agree. There's no question. If you have to get elected every four years, that means that you maybe have two years of pretending to be productive, and then you have two years of trying to get re-elected. Mm-hmm. That... That's just not a sustainable system. Yeah. Um, imagine if you got married and your marriage term was four years and then you could restart. That, I mean, just the, just even think if you, if you an- analogize it, it, if you analogize it into anything else, it becomes completely absurd. I think you could, you could do a much better job with democracy, just randomly electing individuals. We have a lottery and X individuals suddenly, become into the government next time we get new people, new people, new people, then there's absolutely no incentive for them to focus on. I mean, maybe you could have a system where some of them could get reelected once or twice so that they're incentivized to be successful. But in general, people want to be successful. They want to do a good job at what they're doing and they want to leave a legacy. I think it. I, I've listened um, I've listened to a podcast. I actually should probably get them on the on French FM, but and the, basically, uh, there's a group that analyzes different uh, voting and democratic systems. And the one we have to date is the worst system that they were able to devise. It is the worst system. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are some of the maybe one or two best solutions that you've heard about how we can solve this problem? Because I, I see it as certainly a big issue. And, and particularly, that's why I don't really... Um, enjoy politics I think is because it's just all the same rubbish it doesn't seem to be taking us anywhere it doesn't seem to be progressive it just seems to be like a, a whinging battle of of people trying to get in yeah it becomes a it becomes a world of scumbags I think the worst possible is the US because they have a winner take all clause which means that there will always be two parties and it will always become more extreme so when you have a situation where you have a winner take all you're always going to have two parties because that's the highest likelihood for one or the other to win. When a third party comes up, the second place or the first place party is willing to compromise their morals a little bit to absorb the third party so that they don't become overtaken. So you have a scenario where you always have two. Now, if you have a scenario where in politics and in anything, survival, that's the number one thing that matters. Well, if you have two parties, 
they would become one party if they agreed on something, in which case the party would not survive. So they have to become further and further apart from each other. Yeah. To do that, they become more and more extreme, and they're not able to be moderate because when that happens, you get the third party coming in, and the, the whole situation just spirals out of control. It's much better in Europe and in other countries where they have a voting system where you vote for multiple individuals. If your first place vote, let's say you wanted to vote for Bernie and then you wanted to vote for Hillary and then you wanted to vote for whoever the libertarian candidate was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you could put down several different candidates. And if your first place one wasn't in the running, then your vote would go to the second place and then to the third place yeah. so that you have a system where you're not throwing away your vote if you don't vote for one of the top two. I think that alone is a much, much better system. I think the randomized system would be much better. I think in some limited capacities, China's system has been much better for China. They've gotten themselves out of they went from 80% poverty, I want to say it was in the 60s, to 20% poverty 20 years later, uh, and completely flip-flopped the dynamics of the country, the power dynamics. And then I think anyone who's really looked into it would say, within the next several decades, China will become hands down the the economic leader of the world. And I don't think there's really any question behind that. And a big part of that has been the government willing to push things, oftentimes push against ethical, what should be ethical guidelines, but they've been able to do that because they've been willing to do that because they've had the power to do that. So how, I don't understand how the Chinese system works, but how, how do they keep people in the government in for a longer term? Uh, you're a member of the party. And then once you have your position, it's essentially for life. So their, their president will be there until she dies or someone kills her. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's a she, I'm not positive. I'm relatively so, sure. And and I, I just know in the East, uh, like even looking back at Japan, they had the longest sort of vision of, you know, domination, I suppose, over the world, which is, is quite negative. But still they had that long-term vision and collectively they were, they were all geared towards getting that. Um, obviously it didn't work out, but um, I, I believe China's sort of going that route as well. And, and I don't know where that leaves us, but... Um, if you're indeed correct that China in the next, you know, decade or so will become that sort of superpower, how does that look for the rest of the world as far as um, how we're run? Do you think that will extend out and potentially lead to a, a world war or um, have us being taken over in a, some other fashion? It's hard to say, really. I think that that's a definite possibility, but I don't think it's an inevitability. From what I've seen of China, I think there's a lot of good and a lot of... I've lived in China. I lived there for six weeks. Yeah. My business my business background is e-commerce. I would work with factories over there. I have friends over there. No bets. And uh, I was in Hangzhou. I was in... Oh, God. I was in a... So Hangzhou is a very Chinese city. It's, uh, it's the number one Chinese tourist city. But I was living on no. the outskirts of Hangzhou in a yeah. place called Shaoshan. So I was the one white guy. I would walk by and people would run to the window because I was the first white person they'd ever seen. So that That's was pretty cool. <laughs> a crazy experience. But I don't think China's goal is to conquer the world. I think China's goal is just to win and to win by becoming rich and powerful and successful and having if you if you go over to china you fi- you find that individuals there seem to be very materialistic yet also very family focused so i i wouldn't foresee china being very military focused i could see the us or another country attacking china as a preemptive type measure i don't think it will happen at this stage of the game because 
we're kind of playing in the mutually assured destruction game already. But I, I think it will kind of be a, a gradual shift where the up and comer just kind of grows so much faster than the the incumbent that it kind of just becomes an inevitability. Hmm. Often I think that's um, in some sense a way that we need to go to become more globally connected and collaborative to help us deal with some of these issues that you're talking about today, like um, climate warming and um, you know, some of the tech as well. Yeah, we're stupidly separate, separate um, whatever the word is. We're stupidly isolationist currently, and it's becoming worse around the world. You see it in cycles. We become more connected, less connected, more connected, and it's uh, it's basically a sine curve. You can kind of map out, same thing with conservative, liberal. You can map out how these changes happen over time, and it's just reaction, counter-reaction, reaction, counter-reaction, reaction, counter-reaction, and it becomes eventually kind of predictable. Hmm. And again, leading back to that short-term thinking, um, what are some of the other issues? Climate change, um, you know, we, we, we hear enough about that, but particularly the, uh, the other techs. Um, so I think you said IoT devices, VR, AI, um, and even biotechnologies. Um, talk to us a little bit more about that and what you see currently as happening and, and why that might be an indication that some of these things could indeed eventuate into something that's uh, not desirable for humanity. So I would say the AI one is the the most obvious. It's been yeah. advancing really quickly. And while AI, we, we've beaten the chess champion years ago. We beat the world's best player at Go um, more recently, Google and their their AI team. And people think that means AI is here. It's made it. It's creative. It's intelligent. It's smarter than us. It's yeah. not. Right now, AI is very algorithm-based. It's very much, we solve this one problem really well. And while it is advancing and it is able to accomplish more and more, I think before I think it'll probably be relatively simultaneously. But we'll see different displacements happening from AI, artificial intelligence, and from robotics. Now, I just saw an article... Amazon's hiring 20,000 less uh, seasonal workers this year, and that's because they're using more and more robotics in their factories. If, you, if you've ever seen a video of what the inside of Amazon factories looks like, it's fascinating. You see these little Roomba devices driving around, and they're moving massive stands of boxes. You see different, th- uh, different robotic arms, et cetera, that are focused on sorting out products packaging products, sending them over to different areas. And I think we're moving towards that. I think that's the that's the shortest term existential threat right now. Or not necessarily existential, but catastrophic threat for humanity and civilization is just uh, the civil unrest that comes as more and more jobs start to be automated away by robotics and some algorithms. We have autonomous vehicles, which are coming very quickly. We can pretty much handle most situations now when it comes to self-driving. There are some, there's the so-called trolley problem where if you have an autonomous vehicle driving and it can kill five little kids over there, uh, sorry, it can kill one little kid over there or five grandmas over there, which one does it run into? Or does it run into the wall and kill the driver? We have those type of problems, which ethically we haven't talked about or answered as a society, and I think we need to. But autonomous vehicles, 3% of the of the workforce in the U.S. are truck drivers, 3%. That's a pretty large percentage. If you look worldwide, I want to say it's something on the order of 20 to 50% of the world is employed in some type of transit. 
business. Yep. Now, if you start automating those jobs away and if you start automating them away quickly, what happens there if we haven't solved that universal livability question? Because people don't go softly into that good night. If their job and livelihood is suddenly gone, they're willing to do whatever it takes to take it or something back. Yep. And I think that's the that's the big threat that we have right now as a civilization is not talking about those issues or having major revolutions, et cetera, happen as a result of AI. Is that a reason why we're reluctant to bring in these technologies at a, at a quicker rate, or is that just purely a, a capitalist reason because um, you know we're going to lose out on some sort of monetary gain? I think it's I think it's a little bit more nuanced. I'd say politicians would fight it because they realize that by bringing some of these in that they would lose jobs in their district. And that's, of course, all that matters if you want to get reelected is having more jobs. But I think some of it is also some of it could also be backlash against um, corporations, et cetera. So you see, for instance, big oil held back electric vehicles for the longest time just by lobbying tons of money against them. You see pharma lobbying against a lot of more beneficial treatments, so stem cell treatments, et cetera, trying to get them classified to be medicine that if you have your stem cells removed, you're not allowed to have them put back into you because suddenly this is an illegal medicine type deal. You see a lot of this happening with corporations, and I think it's just it's yeah. a tragedy. Hmm. But in terms of AI not happening faster, I think the, the scary thing about AI is the fact that it's a, it's a bit like a winner-take-all race. Now, if we if we think that artificial general intelligence, which is regarded as essentially basic human level function, um, cognition, ability to perform tasks, et cetera. If we think about that as doable, then artificial intelligence becomes very dangerous because if you're racing in a race where you're racing against 100 other individuals and whoever wins survives and everyone else dies, you're willing to do whatever it takes, cut whatever corners it is, crash anyone necessary. With AI, if we think about it in terms of the stock market, if we think about it in terms of the financial aspects, the governmental aspects, the political power aspects, if we think about artificial general intelligence, once you get to that point, you should, in theory, be able to improve yourself. And if you're able to improve yourself and become smarter, you have something that's super intelligent, which happens almost instantly. If you have that and you're able to contain it, so if you're not able to contain it, all bets are off. If you're able to contain it and create suddenly super intelligence, one country, one company, one individual can become supremely powerful. You become, in essence, a bit of a god. When that happens, you win everything. If you have a situation where you win everything and you have different players, different state actors, different governments, different corporations all working towards that goal, they're all willing to cut whatever corners necessary to get there because otherwise they lose and all of their effort is for nothing. And that's the problem with trying to have AI regulations, AI controls is you have this inherent situation where, sure, we can have all these rules and things, but if someone else gets there, there and they did it and I didn't. Well, then shit, I lost and everything is lost. So I'm going to, it's called the tragedy of the commons problem where everyone does the wrong thing because they're afraid someone else will. Yeah, yeah. So the, immediately the the issue that, that is most likely is obviously AI taking away and robotics taking away a lot of our jobs. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about this and, and a lot of people say that that is that is true, but like all previous um, uh, the industrial revolution, etc. 
um, things have taken our jobs, but we've found new ones. Do you feel that with AI taking off, for example, all the truck drivers off our roads, that we will have other jobs that are being created because a need else pop, a need, a need elsewhere pops up? I think it's definitely possible, but I, my my opinion would be, sure, we can replace some of these jobs and have them be servicing robots, et cetera. But I think it's, I think technologists that make the argument that this is just like the last time can be a bit idealistic. I think it's different when you're dealing with something that becomes at or close to human level. We've never had something like that before. In the past, we've had mechanical augmentation, which has made an individual more effective. This is something that can make an individual irrelevant. irrelevant. Mm. And I think that that's something where, where whether that happens or not, it is a bit of a black swan event. It is, it is essentially impossible to tell. We can predict, we can forecast, we can do all of this, but we're going to be wrong anyways. So we might as well plan for the worst case scenario and make sure that we can survive that. Because if we can and things go great and suddenly we have more jobs than we know what to do with, well, crap, I guess we're in a great place. Darn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. How, how, how far away do you see this, this artificial intelligence really coming into play? Because you know, I keep hearing different you know, three years, five years, 20 years. Um, is there some sort of consensus that you see in the field that AI will be a big part of our society where we will have you know, automated trucks and cars and all that sort of thing driving around, zipping through, you know, there'll be no more workers in factories, um, things like that. So I want to say it was the Manhattan Project. They were working on creating the atomic bomb. And they asked Rutherford, or one of, one of the main guys, um, how long do you think this will take? And he said something to the effect of, it's impossible or it will never happen. And the next day it happened. Yeah. They suddenly were successful. And I think it's a lot like that, where the people in the know, the people not in the know, they're all guessing. Now, what you see if you look at the averages is the average is always 20 years. Yeah. The average for just about every technology, when people guess, if they're not sure, they guess around 20 years. The enthusiast guess sooner, the the less enthusiastic guess further out. But oftentimes people guess long enough so that their career will already be done by the time their prediction is done. I have absolutely no idea when we will get to the level of artificial general intelligence the only thing i know is that as we get closer it will happen much quicker than we expect it will because that's the that's the nature of technology is if you look at the human genome project when they tried to sequence the entire human genome it took something like 13 billion uh 13 years and over the course of the first 12 12 and a half they were only a couple percentage of the way there and then suddenly it just takes off yep that's how exponential technology works. And AI, at least for me, feels just about as exponential as it gets. Yeah, you can already see it. I mean, I went for a test drive in a car yesterday, and um, it was phenomenal, the AI in that car. Um, you know, it wasn't fully automated, but um, it was very, very close. Um, and that's, you know, a car that's currently on the road. And I know they have automated cars out there already in, in production, but, um, yeah, it's only a matter of time, I suppose. It is, and we definitely need to have these conversations ahead of time. Regardless of how it turns out, it's important to have that backup plan because if we if we go the pure capitalist route and say, okay, everything's just going to be great and grand, it's um a Boy Scout is always prepared. If you prepare for the best case scenario and anything is wrong, then you're you're screwed. 
So how do we prepare for this? I mean, again, collectively, individually, you said at the start, we're all very much driven for the short term, for the pleasures, for the immediate satisfaction, gratification, etc. cetera. Uh, and I guess that, in a lot of senses, is causing us to turn a blind eye to a lot of these longer-term issues. Even as it comes to you know individual health, we often go for the McDonald's burger because it's tasty, it's delicious, and we neglect to think about how that's going to affect our health in sixty years' time. Um, particularly if we you know are going to live towards you know centuries or you know a couple hundred years, whatever it might be, um, these things are, are even more detrimental now to be thinking about. How can we, as an individual, plan better for what might come? Like, is there anything that you'd suggest we we look at doing other than you know having a, a conversation about these things or reading into it more what else can we do i think there's two ways to think about it as a society and as an individual as an individual if what you're doing on a day-to-day basis can be automated if there's something routine about it it will be automated mm-hmm. if it's driving if it's an accountant if it's a lawyer writing contracts that are the same basic contract all of those jobs will go away or be very automated. You have one worker handling a hundred previous jobs type deal. That's something where if you're working in one of those fields, you've got to be thinking about this and you've got to be building up your skill set either in that field outside of what you're doing or building up your value somewhere else. I think creativity is going to become more and more valuable because what I've seen is AI is very productive. It has essentially no capacity to be creative short of trying to replicate something similar to something like that kind of whatever that author was doing or that artist was painting, et cetera, and make something that kind of sort of looks like that. That's that's the level of creativity that we're at right now. That could change, but in the foreseeable future, I see AI being something very productive, very left-brained. If your job, if all you do is left-brained, then unfortunately, even though everyone told you that left brain was good and right brain were the creatives that would always be the starving artists, I think we're moving towards the era where that changes, hmm. where the human aspect becomes much more important. The ability to ask questions, the ability to have human to human interactions to make people feel happy, value, et cetera, valued, et cetera. I don't think we're anywhere close to having a robot that can coach a six year old girls' soccer team or that can make a senior citizen feel happy on their dying deathbed. I don't think we're remotely close to those. And I think those are the jobs that'll start to become more valuable and more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other jobs will start to be automated away on a society level. I think we're living way too much in a, a Puritan type aspect of you had the Puritans. Basically we had Christianity and suddenly this one guy was like, wait, you know what I want? Shit. I want to get rich. I think God likes it if we work really hard. So we should have that be part of our, part of our religious doctrine and, Calvinism and Puritanism were formed. And that's kind of how society works today is if you're not working, you're, you're lazy, you're irrelevant, you're not important to society, you're a scumbag, you're all of these terrible things. And I think we have to move towards the era where you're not defined by your job, but you're defined by your creativity and what you're able to put into the world. Think about a world where objects are ubiquitous. They can be produced for anything. What becomes valuable? Well, then we have music, then we have art, then we have invention, then we have entrepreneurship, then we have all of these things that are less conventional today and more driven by creativity, by expression. That's the type of future that I would like to see because 
if we have that, we can potentially have a creative renaissance versus a, a painful revolution. Mm. Just on that point, how do you see the, the future global economy as it relates to you know, money and, and how we operate? Because if these technologies take over and, and suddenly a lot of people are displaced and without work and lacking money, yes, they could upskill, yes, they could be creative and try and make incomes there, but is it going to be enough to uphold a current level of lifestyle that we currently afford? If I'm being realistic... I think that certain countries will benefit very greatly, mm. but I don't see, for instance, let's say the U.S. becomes incredibly successful from AI. I don't see the U.S. implementing a universal basic income for the rest of the world. So I could see it being a situation where you have you have paradise and then pre-third world country type deal, which would be horrifying, but I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Ultimately, I think we need to move towards uh, more of an interplanetary or planet-level collective decentralized type government where we have not multiple countries, but we have everyone united under a single race, which is the human race. I think we kind of forgot that we're all the same. And I think we need to move towards that, but I think we're still a ways off from that. Humanity has way too much in terms of baggage to be able to all be friends, unfortunately. We will move towards that and eventually probably get to the point of having... I think probably, by, I mean, by force rather than choice, it'll just happen. Yeah, we're going to get hit by an asteroid or something, and then we're like, fuck, we all need to help each other out. <laughs> God, that sucks. I have to love my neighbor and shit. I think that'll kind of be how that starts to play out, or as we start to expand and become interplanetary, suddenly it doesn't make any sense to have different countries and you have different... Uh, different planets, et cetera, and mm. how do they interact with each mm. other? I think you would have planetary level governance similar to an EU. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. And, and certainly, you know, at the moment, as, as I look around, um, it, it, it seems to be harder and harder. Um, and I'm looking from my level, you know, there's, there's obviously people above and below, but um, from my level, it seems to be harder and harder for most people to make ends meet and yes we have a lot of things that perhaps are unnecessary and a lot of expenses that we don't need um but certainly to go back from that to a, a lower level of lifestyle is going to create a lot of turmoil within individual and the collective tribes and groups um and then trying to to have some level of life you know it could cause anarchy in the streets and and all sorts of different problems going forward especially if the job market is reducing and the amount of pay that people are getting is lessening and it is. You see a lot of jobs and governments are subsidizing these jobs because you you can't have a full-time lower income job and get by. Hmm. And that becomes ultimately untenable when you have developers in Silicon Valley making $400,000 a year. Eventually, wealth inequality is something that becomes so destabilizing. I mean, think about it in terms of just basic geometry pyramids work um the uh the little sand dropper thing with the top and the bottom that doesn't work because when your waist gets too small eventually you fall over hmm. yeah i mean that's that's something that i think is is quite concerning now and, and i think those issues are going to become pretty obvious very quickly and and will be left behind not knowing what to do when that happens rather than talking about it now and really trying to figure out hey 
like, you know, the people that are talking about universal basic incomes and things like that. I mean, I think that's really needs to be where the conversations are happening. And I don't, perhaps I'm not listening enough, but I don't see them happening around uh, my communities, at least as, as often as they perhaps could. Definitely not as much as they could. And universal basic income isn't necessarily the answer, but it is a conversation starter, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. And living to 153, what's your, what's, why, why that number? So I think if you look at the basic health uh, longevity stats today, if you're a white male living in the U.S., the average is around 78. But this doesn't take into account, A, just someone who's following basic reg- recommendations. So eating healthy, what, what we found is if you're eating a low-carbohydrate diet, that's so much better for you. If you're eating less processed foods, that's so much better for you. Think about think about the last five or 10 people you know who've died. How many of them died from old age and how many died from disease? We're learning so much more about disease and the fact that it's caused by primarily inflammation in the gut and inflammation in the brain. We're learning more about inflammation and that it's primarily caused by your diet and eating things that aren't agreeable with your body or the human body, like sugar, like bread, et cetera. So I think from basic nutrition, eating well, exercising, you're already doing much better than what the average would be. Mm -hmm. We don't have to put a number necessarily on what that is. That's without trying. Now, as you start to get into supplementation, the supplement, there's a lot of supplements out there that have some pretty decent proven results. But I think all of that is just basic table stakes. I'm, I'm 27 years old right now. If I was to live to hundred, that would mean I have 73 more years. Now, at the rate the technology is advancing, based off of the folks I'm talking to, we're adding significant numbers of lives, uh, significant numbers of years onto individuals' lives. Mm -hmm. Maybe not one year per year yet, but we only have to get to that longevity escape velocity where they are reducing aging by close to or one year for every year that passes to the point where suddenly you're aging zero years per year. Mm. And infinite life or near infinite life becomes a possibility. So just based off of the advances that are happening right now, what they're understanding in terms of mitochondrial health and how that is really the the powerhouse of the cells, what they're learning in terms of ways to optimize that, I'm already optimizing that kind of stuff. So that should be helpful for living to the normal type of range. But just banking on the technology that I see coming I think 153 isn't that unreasonable. If you're willing to try, you eat healthy, and you give yourself the best possible odds of getting into and getting to the point of some of these technologies becoming just a little bit more mature. Because a lot of them are are relatively mature today and becoming more and more so every day. I always thought um, living longer would have more to do with, rather than biological health, would have more to do with integration to. Um, technologies that's another see there's there's so many ways that comes in as well so if you're able to replace your heart with a bio uh, with a mechanical heart if you're able to replace your stomach lining with one that cuts out negative things etc there's a lot that's happening right now and that's like the cyborg type movement some of the other aspects of health so we have wearables now we have much more consistent um blood tests, uh, genetic Mm. tests, and these monitorings will become more and more continuous. I I mean, I see a smart toilet coming in the foreseeable future where you take a dump and it's able to tell you what you're doing wrong and what you need to change. You're sick, sets up appointments for your doctor. You have better medicine focused on prevention rather than 
treatment. I think all of those things become just you're layering so many technologies onto each other. It just becomes absurd. And the other reason for the goal of 153 is I think a lot of people think in today's paradigm, they're not able or willing to think into the future. And if you think that you're going to, if you set limits on yourself, you'll never exceed those limits because that's what your body is designed for. So Elizabeth Blackburn, um, she's a, she's a famed researcher. She won the Nobel prize for her work on telomeres And basically what her work proved is that your thoughts influence the length of your telomeres. The length of your telomeres is essentially the productive coding around your DNA Mm -hmm. that impacts how long you'll live. So people that were more positive had longer telomeres, short end of the story. So she was able to prove that what you thought directly impacts your health and how long you live. And I think people that think, oh, God, I'll, I'll go to 65, I'll retire, and then hopefully I have 10, 15 good years. Well, you know what? They're going to go to 65 and then they'll retire and they'll have 10 or 15 good years. They don't stand a chance of going longer because they don't have that as even a possibility. I think creating the possibilities that seem impossible are the only ways to possibly make that impossibility possible. And (laughs) sorry that that was strangely worded, but that... I think it came out right. It's a little, little bit of uh, mind over matter there, which, um, yeah, I absolutely agree with. I, I talk to a lot of people. I'm, I'm one of those guys that would love to live uh, for a couple hundred years. Uh, but a lot of people I talk to say, no If way. it's healthy, God, I don't want to be in like a walker or something. So it's got to be a healthy health span. Healthy absolutely. Life. Absolutely. Um, but uh, there you go, mate. I've got some quick round questions I want to jump into. There's a lot more that we could talk about, I'm sure. Uh, I want to encourage the listeners, too, to jump on to Fringe FM. I'm certainly going to... Uh, subscribe to the podcast and have a listen myself today, mate, because it's certainly a area of interest. Um, quick round questions. What are some rituals or routines that you believe contribute to your success? Uh, I do intermittent fasting, so I don't eat until 10, 12 a.m. or 12 p.m. Um, and that's, that's super helpful in terms of not eating early in the morning, modulating blood sugar. I meditate relatively regularly Going to the gym is the only thing that keeps me sane and listening to tons of podcasts for learning. Yeah, cool. What is your definition of success? Oh, shit. Um, success is being creative and productive and feeling happy about it. So if you're able to do both of those and enjoy what you're doing, I think you're being successful. Okay, cool. Uh, I've forgotten my next question. I ask these questions all the time. Uh, the next question is what tools, um, resources, techniques, practices, etc. do you have or what one do you have that helps you be more effective in your day-to-day life? I would say having a, having a VA, a virtual assistant that's able to help out with some tasks, yeah. scheduling things, setting up videos, etc., what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Just do what you want to do and what you're obsessed with doing. Don't do anything for the money. Focus on enjoyment and impact, and the rest will follow. It's good advice. It's a challenge, isn't it? It is, but I think if you're willing to work hard, it's always doable. Yeah. And work hard and work creatively. If you you've got to think different. If you want to be if you want to be a juggler and that's like your favorite thing ever, and you want to be a professional juggler, it might not work out. But if you're willing to make juggling videos on YouTube, 
while doing that, I don't know, reading JK Rowling's Harry Potter or something absurd, you might be able to make that into a career. It depends. But I think <laughs> if you're, if you're creative enough, you can probably pull something off and make you, sure that whatever you're doing solves, it, it has an impact. How do you train, um, I guess two parts to this question, how do you train your creativity and also your ability to think different? I guess they're sort of two of the same thing. I guess it, two answers. Uh, the first would be podcasts. I listen to a bunch of great podcasts. I typically do three, three and a half X type speed so I can listen pretty quickly. Three and a half. Yeah, well. If you, as you work your way up, it actually, it, it becomes, uh, you don't notice the differences and it's. I'm on one and a half and I can't get back to one. So maybe I'll try two. Yeah, you can't, you can't go back, but uh, <laughs> that's super valuable for getting a lot of perspectives. And then the other thing would be uh, the podcast. So on Fringe, if you go to fringe.fm, you guys can find that. But just talking to the world's smartest folks, I get to have these type of conversations with the top mm. AI guys, longevity, quantum computing, space, robotics, etc. It forces you to be creative because you see what's happening. And what are your top three podcasts? My top three podcasts. Well, obviously, I'm not going to include mine, so you guys need to include that for me. Um, there's one I like a lot now. It only has a couple episodes, but uh, After On with Rob Reed. It's a great sci-fi podcast. Um, I like Mind and Machine with August Bradley. He's actually in a mastermind of mine. And then let's see, a third one. The problem is there's so many that, oh God, I don't have my phone. I like Sam Harris's podcast. If you haven't listened to Sam Harris, he's quite an interesting guy. He's very, very sharp, very smart, and he makes you think about the world a bit differently. Yeah, cool. If I was to serve you your last meal, what would you request? That one's tough. The question is, do I eat what I always eat or do I eat just a ton of junk? I would probably go with these things that we call peanut power bars. Uh, the snack my mom used to make, it was essentially granola with peanut butter filled throughout it and then chocolate on top. Wow. <laughs> cool. And favorite leisure activity or you know, the activity that gives you the greatest joy? Probably reading. Reading is the way that I tune out de-stress and ideally... I think if you re don't read business books, guys, if you're working all day and you're reading business books, eventually you just go nuts because that's all you're ever doing. So for me, it's got to be fiction and it's got to be something that pulls me into an alternative reality, something that is so encompassing that you forget yourself, you forget reality for a bit. Okay, that's a good one. What, what one book would you pass down to your children or future generations other than any of your own? I would never pass down one of my own. I was thinking about this, and in terms of the book, I think it would have to be How to Win Friends and Influence People because it's just such a valuable skill in terms of being able to understand others, being able to help them get what they want so that you can get what you want. It would either be that or some self-development book in terms of mindfulness and personal development, et cetera. How to Win Friends and Influence uh, People. I'll stick that in the show notes, uh, an old classic, certainly relevant to this conversation as well if we're talking about um, you know, that human aspect of our ability to sort of tackle some of the problems going forward, creativity, human connection, relationships, et cetera. It uh, is the most important skill. Yeah, yeah, and that seems to be um, people are losing it anyway, including myself perhaps. The next question is what quote, phrase, or message would you tweet or text to the entire population of the world? 
there are no rules. I think too many people live their life by rules and they forget that they can break these rules. They forget that society told them these rules. They forget that these rules don't matter. They aren't going to get you to where you want to be. It's not what's going to make you happy. There are no rules would be my quote. Nice one. Do you believe we all have a hidden why or a deeper purpose? I think no, because that's like believing in destiny. It's believing in a one true love, a one true this, a one true that. And I think that there's a lot of possibilities for all of us. I could have become obsessed with something else in my life and maybe wanted to be the world's greatest lacrosse coach or wanted to get into designing rockets. I think that there's not a one true Mm. purpose or passion for everyone, but I think everyone has the ability to find a purpose, a passion, a calling that's meaningful for them. There might be multiple possibilities for what that could be. But I think that, yeah, we're not defined as who we are. We create that definition. Yeah, well said. And what does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? It means that there's not a destination. It's a journey, and you've got to enjoy the journey. And a lot of that's cliche, and it's a lot of it's stuff that I know is true but oftentimes have trouble believing. But I think that if what you do every day is what you enjoy doing – And it's something where you might not do it all the time, but it's something that you wouldn't want to trade. Then I'd say that that means you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Now, what do you believe is the underlying motivation behind everything you do? That one's hard. I thought about this one as well. Hmm. And there's kind of the pithy, there's kind of the pithy answer that everyone wants to hear. And then there's, there's the more true answer and then there's something in the middle. So for me, I would say, what's the pithy one? The pithy one would be to make the world a better place. Uh The, the more, um, personalized one would be ego and the more realistic or true one would probably be some combination of those two to make the world a better place and to be successful and recognized while doing it would probably be the truthful answer that you'll never get from most people. But I think that's more or less what it would be. And I think when people tell you what their purpose is, you always need to weigh it through those veins of what they want to tell you and what they think you want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, fantastic conversation. Um, How can people best reach out to you? Obviously, you've got your podcast there. I'll stick a link to that in the show notes as well. Fringe FM, um, you've got a website as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to fringe.fm, you can find tons more resources, interviews with top leaders in AI, space, robotics, quantum computing, you name it. If this conversation has been interesting, make sure you hop over there. You can find us in all the major podcasting apps. Just search Fringe FM, all one word. Be careful. There's another Fringe FM, and apparently they're focused on weird paranormal shit. Uh, I have another podcast, The Syndicate, which is focused on early stage angel and tech investing. If you're interested in that or want to learn more, thesyndicate.vc. And then just in terms of following me and connecting, Twitter is probably the best way. If you go to mattward.io, you can find me there on Twitter and happy to follow, chit-chat, or continue the conversation elsewhere. Yeah, awesome, mate. Look, uh, I'll stick all the links in the show notes, guys, to check it out at thehiddenwide.com, episode 702 with Matt Ward. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun, and congrats. 702 episodes is pretty impressive. Moving up there, mate. Uh, thanks again, and guys, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. 
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon